For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kevin, and I have the, the sincere joy and honor of serving as lead pastor here. And I just echo what Allison said. If you are new in our midst today, we are better because of your presence today. You chose to come here. You didn't need to. You are here for some reason, and I trust God has something mighty in store for you. But I know already God has uniquely created you, crafted you, gifted you, called you. And so by the sheer fact that you are in our presence today, we are better for it. So thank you for being here today. We pray that today is a blessing to you as much as you are a blessing to us. And with that, it is time to jump in to today's message. Y'all ready? I can tell you guys are ready. I can tell. I can sense it. I can sense it. Um, the first thing, though, we got to talk about is, have you noticed how there's some things that appear simple, but they're actually kind of complicated? Right? Parenting, for one. We're not going to talk about that. So I'm figuring it out. <laughs> we all are. But let's talk about football. Let's talk about football. Football seems really simple on the surface, right? You get the ball in the end zone, you score. You do that more than the other team, you win. Pretty simple. My kids get that concept. We watch a football game together, and they say to me, they say, Dad, why don't they just score? I said, great idea, son. Dad, why don't they just take that ball from the other team? That's a great idea, son. Why don't they just kick the field goal? Well, you know, they're at like the, they'd be like a 70-yard field goal. That doesn't really happen, but they, they could. Why don't they just why don't they just do it? But you start to study football or watch it, and the announcers tell you things. You're like, what does that mean? They start using made-up expressions like schemes and 4-3 and nickel and dime package. And, and like, is that like the store they used to have, like the nickel and dime s store my parents told me about where they got candy? No, it's a, it's a, it's a defense thing, and there's cover two and, and all this stuff. Stuff. And, and, and then you start watching, and it just seems like this must be complicated because you could be up like 24-7 at halftime. So, so <laughs> Somehow the momentum shifts. Decisions are made. Sometimes you agree with them, sometimes you don't. Sometimes the ball comes towards you and you drop it. Sometimes the ball comes towards you and it hits your face. And sometimes the ball comes towards you and it hits your face and ends up in the other guy's arms. What is going on? Whew. That was only a week ago. It feels like ages. Go Lions next year, baby. Okay. Some things in life seem simple, but they're actually complicated, quite complicated, multifaceted, challenging football, sure, but on a way greater scale, something that actually matters, I'd say that's true for the Ten Commandments. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, the Ten, as we're going through the Ten Commandments, ten words that convict us, that shape us, ten words that bring us hope, ten words to live by, words that were lived out by Jesus, words that reveal to us the path of abundant life designed by the Creator. Ten words that are our guardrails and our path to life as followers of Jesus. Now, on the surface, they appear simple. They appear simple. But as we study, we realize there's a whole lot to them. 
That's certainly true for all ten, and it's definitely true for today's, which is the third commandment. We're going to be in Exodus 20, verse 7. That's our commandment we're focusing on. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles. It will also be on the screen for you. As I read this for us, I'm going to read for it. We're going to look at it from two different angles, looking at the NIV and the ESV, because they both pull out things from the Hebrew that I think gives us a helpful vantage point to consider this third commandment. So let's now hear the true word of the Lord together from Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Hear it again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the word for us today, and it seems simple, right? Yeah, watch your language, right? Watch your language. Don't misuse and abuse God's name. Check your OMGs at the door, and be careful what you say when you stub your toe. Check. Okay, I think that's it. See you next week, right? Oh, some of you would love that. Well, too bad. I'm only on page 4 of 14. <laughs> Remember that these 10 words, 10 commandments, they're not merely a list of restrictions that only take marginal self-control to overcome. They're a lot more than that. They're, life, they're a life-giving blueprint for kingdom and God-centered living. We're not called to this bare minimum obedience. We're called to give our life to Christ who laid down his life for ours. Which means sacrifice. Which means surrender. Which means it seems simple, but it can get a little bit detailed as we look into what it all means. And it means working at it for all of our days. First blush, it seems simple. It's anything but. So to help us understand this, it's all about God's name. So we need to talk about the power of names. Do you know what your name means? You guys know? You ever, like, look it up? What does my name mean, right? There's, like, these, these meanings to our, our name. And I guess I don't really, like, know who decides what our names mean. I mean, like, there's biblical names, so we find meaning within that. But some of us have biblical names, and some of us are named Kevin. <laughs> it's not in the— it's not, haven't found it. Um, so I think it's like that first person ever have that name, right? So I looked up. What does my name mean? My name, Kevin, it means handsome. Hey. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Right on. Yeah. Whew. My middle name is Frederick. This means peaceful ruler. How about that? Right? Okay. And you guys, you have meanings behind your name, but there's a lot more to us than what our name translates as, right? Sometimes you like read it and you're like, that just doesn't seem to match up, right? But think of it this way. What do you imagine people think when they hear your name, your full name? You've been in conversations with people before, and someone comes up like, oh yeah, Frank Joe, that guy, he's so blank, right? He's so caring, he's so selfless, he's so whatever. What do people think when they hear your name, do you think? There's a lot more to you than just your name. For me, you might hear Kevin Sanders. Oh, yeah, that rugged, big guy I call when I need to move. Right? That's what you think, right? Right? Did I mention I was feeling insecure this morning? 
<laughs> no, I'm not good at moving things. I'm a great supervisor, which means I'm living up to my middle name. I'm a peaceful ruler. I can, yeah, all right. Anyway, not just a pretty face. So a name is more than a name. All that to say, you're going to remember this because of those absurd examples. A name is more than a name. It represents all we are. This was a lot more true back in ancient times. We've kind of lost it, but back in ancient times, this was absolutely true. Now we pick names just kind of like how they sound, right? Like, what, what, like does it go with our other kids' names? If we have other kids, can kids make fun of this name? No matter what you pick, they'll make fun of it. Don't base it on that. Kids are cruel. They're a true sign of our sinfulness. It's fine. We love them still. It's fine. Names back in the day carried serious and significant weight and meaning. Because a name is more than a name. It shares with it our sense of our entire being, our entire character. So God's name represents the sum total of his character. We had a message on the names of God not all that long ago, and it was exhaustive and thorough, and yet we left a lot on the cutting room floor, and that just starts to give us the smallest glimpse. We had a whole series called God Is that looks at these attributes of God, and we start to understand what's in a name. God's name represents all he is. Hear this quote from Jen Wilkin. God is holy, loving, just, compassionate, omnipresent, omnipotent, sovereign, gracious, merciful, patient, infinite, and good. To pray in the name of the Lord is to ask God to act according to his character. To take shelter in the name of the Lord is to place our trust in who he is. To be baptized in the name of the Lord is to identify with his character as our salvation, our strength, and our new identity. And to misuse the name of the Lord. To take his name in vain, it is to misrepresent the character of God. What's in a name? The whole lot is in a name. And to misuse the name of God is to misrepresent the character of God. God is the great I am. He is who he is. And we, and we discover that in our God is series, right? There's a whole lot to our incredible God. So back to our commandments. This hit the top ten, right? That means there is a weight and a seriousness to this. We're not to misuse the name of our God or take his name in vain, for when we do, we misrepresent our perfect God and we slander his name. We slander who he is. Put another way, when we misuse his name, we are dragging his name, the, uh, the name of our Lord, King, Creator, through the mud which is the greatest act of defamation any of us could ever, ever have. Not so simple or innocent, is it? No. So let's clarify. What is this command asking us not to do? Because of it, it seems simple that something we could just kind of, kind of check the box and be like, I'll never use God's name inappropriately, so let's move on. But there's a lot more to it because all the scripture reveals to us there's a lot more than just misusing his name by, by saying it in, in a flippant way. So the first thing we're not to do, we're not to swear by his name, right? Leviticus expounds on this where God says, you shall not swear by my name falsely 
and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Pretty clear. It means created beings who swear by the Creator's name, profane His name. Jesus would later teach on this, and he would expound to say, don't take an oath at all. This is in Matthew 5. He says, simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more, he says, comes from evil. So Jesus, he's, he's essentially saying we profane the name of God, not just when we swear by his name, but any time we try to enhance our own credibility. Well, I make that makes some sense. Like, for instance, we'll, someone will ask us something like, nah, uh, no way. And you'll say, no, 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 no. I swear. I swear. I'll do this thing. I'm going to show up. I promise with God as my witness, I will be there. I will do it. We're trying to enhance our credibility by subscribing God's name to it. But what happens then if we don't show up and we call God as our witness? We are dragging his name the mud. He calls us to a higher standard as God's children that we should be known for our integrity in the things we say and in the things we do, without the need of calling God to witness our words or actions, for we know he already bears witness to it all. So what do we do instead? Each restriction here in the Bible, each do not, is in there to bring us closer to God. And each do not has an inverse do uh, implied. So if we are to not do that, what do we do? We don't call on God to be our witness, but instead we live as a witness to others about our God through living like Jesus. That's how we're called to live. We fulfill the third word, indeed all ten words, by seeking to live like Jesus. We don't swear by his name because we remember whose name it is. It's God Almighty. It's God Almighty to whom none compare. And that points us to our next do not of this command. Do not speak trivially, flippantly, or disrespectfully about God. That's present in our text today, to not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Jesus, he, he sends shockwaves throughout the world, continues to send shockwaves throughout the world. One such example of this was in Matthew 6. His disciples approached Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus answered their request. He didn't answer them with instruction, but with demonstration, as Jesus would. And he began to pray. He said something that would have been totally foreign and unheard of to these disciples. How did Jesus begin? How does his prayer begin? Our Father. Our Father. The disciples, they had been formed in Jewish homes. They were taught to pray and remember their all-powerful, almighty God through daily prayers, weekly rhythms, yearly festivals. They'd remember the God who brought plagues. They would remember the God who parted the seas, who delivered their people. God was, in that culture, that day and age, appropriately held with the utmost and most profound amount of reverence. And here in the great prayer of Jesus, he begins with a deeply familiar and intimate, our Father. And he didn't just say, my Father. He said, our Father. 
See, God is relatable. God is personable. God is close, and God cares. He's our Father. It's profoundly different. This was profoundly different news for these disciples to learn about God. But at the same time, why we mention all this now is throughout the many years from then to now, we have erred more and more and more on the personal side, this, this relatable side of God, while not always upholding a reverence for the high and holy God. Surely we need both. For God, in, or excuse me, Jesus, he is God, in our prayer continues, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, we don't use this word. We should, it's a good name, it's a good word. Hallowed is, means to honor the name of God as holy. Hallowed be thy name. Honor God's name as holy. Honor him as holy. Lift up his name to the absolute highest place. Yes, he is our father. Yes, Jesus is our friend. But yes, God is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the final authority. He is the judge of the living and the dead of you and of me. And he is due right reverence. So yes, we grow to better know the deeply beautiful heart of our Father, but we do so never forsaking reverence for our holy God. We hold both at the same time. For when we do, when we speak of him trivially or jokingly or disrespectfully, we're breaking this third commandment. But instead, let's embody what it says in Psalm 148, where it says, let us praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. We live to make his name great. So we do not eat. Oh, yeah, that's the end of that one. This is the next point. Do not, another do not, use God to justify your own agenda. When we look at our passage today, when we hear take his name in vain, when we break apart the Hebrew, we start to see what that could more directly be translated as is to not lift up the Lord's name to falsehood. To falsehood. The, that word vain, it can mean empty. It can mean falsehood. It can be nothing. It can mean to no good purpose. It can even mean to wickedness. When we misuse God's name, when we take it in vain, we misrepresent the character of God by lowering him to a level of emptiness or falsehood. Friends, there's no falseness within our God. Have you ever experienced this? Maybe you've heard it said before, well, God told me to do this, or God told me to say this, or God said, so sometimes, yes, God does speak, I'm not saying, but sometimes we will hear this. Sometimes someone will say, God would want me to have this chocolate bar. What? Or God gave me this word uh, that you all should give me a hundred bucks. And if you do that, you will be healed. There's people that believe that. There's people that teach that. That's called a false teaching. That is not true. That is not how this works. Have you experienced this? Because history and our own lives are filled with Christians using God and the Bible to justify our own agendas. 
I could twist the word, the living word of God to basically justify anything I want. And you don't need to be an English major to do that. You all can as well. But that's not how we're called to learn. Happens on a smaller scale too. Someone ever ask you to do something you don't want to do? And you said to them perhaps, hey, I'll pray about it. And you come back to that person and you tell them, can't do it, sorry. Did you actually pray about it? Giannis, did you ever actually pray about it? Or did you just say that to soften and justify the no? Oof, we're probably all guilty on some level of something like that. It might have softened the no, but it broke the third. We misuse God's name when we forge his signature of approval on things that he never said or agreed to. So instead of using God to justify our own agenda, we're called to surrender our plans to his agenda. Our God, I am delighted to tell you, is sovereign. He is good. He is just. He is in control over and above all things, and he is perfect. As we come to better know and walk with the perfect one, the more we can lay down our own plans and trust in him whose name reigns above it all. And our last do not of this command, do not speak hollowed words by living hollow lives. I can't, I can't say those words differently, but hollowed with an A and hollow with a, with a O is a big difference. Jesus once said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Elsewhere, he said, some will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. These all, all tie a bit together, right? But we misuse the name of Christ when we misrepresent him. You see, we, if you give your life to Jesus, you then bear the name Christian. I got to tell you, I struggle with the term Christian because there's a lot of baggage out there in the popular eye with that term. A lot of us, I think, we sometimes say Jesus follower, disciple, all these things. But we are given the name Christian. We bear his name. We need not be embarrassed or ashamed. It means we have a high and holy calling of representing his name. But the painful and harsh truth is that when non-believers hear the name of Christian, the baggage I'm talking about, when they hear of Christian, they're more likely to think of hypocrite than of Jesus Christ. That is so wrong, friends. We misuse the name of Jesus when we sing these songs, but we don't, we're not trying to believe him. When we go through all the Christian motions, but when we're honest, we're just completely phony about it. When we say all the Christian things, but we're not living it out at all. We call on the name of Christ with our words, but not our hearts, and our actions are far from him. We may bear his name on the surface, but a quick look reveals we just might be lacking any of his nature. So what do we do? We strive, important word because none of us are perfect, we strive to live up to the name of what we bear. Baptism, for those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a naming ceremony. 
We are called now to live as name bearers of Christ. How we live, what we say, represents Christ, whether we like it or not. Are we representing him well? I'm breaking my rule of one Lord of the Rings reference every like four months. So some of you just got really excited and some of you checked out. So it's fine. Come with me on a journey to Middle Earth. Frodo, Frodo Baggins was the ring bearer. It's said many times that he carries a heavy burden. Carry a heavy burden, little ones. The ring he carries represents evil personified. He is the ring bearer. It's his new identity, his new title, and it affects truly everything he does internally and out. Well, we are not ring bearers, but we are name bearers. And we don't represent evil. We carry the name of the victorious God Almighty. It ought to change every single thing about us. Everything we say, everything we do, it is not a tangential side, periphery part of our lives. It is the central focus of our entire lives of which everything else revolves around. To carry the name of Christ is no heavy burden. It is a joy-filled, life-giving burden to bear. Its weight is the weight of the easy yoke, and its promise is life abundant in Christ. You give your life to Jesus, you have a new name and a new identity, and you are a name-bearer of the risen King. So we are called to represent him in how we live, in what we say, what we do. To take up the command of Colossians 3, Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To strive to live up to the name which you bear by loving Jesus, living like Jesus, by giving him your life. Now here's the reality. We know none of us but Jesus Christ has walked this earth and remains blameless. We are all guilty of breaking this command and many others. The command here we read today, it came with a warning. You read it at the very end there. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You continue to live in unrepentant sin. You continue to just take his name in vain. He will not hold you guiltless. There's one alone who is guiltless. He's not you or me. But praise God for what we celebrate today at this table that our guilt is removed by the blood of the Lamb. His name is Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of you and me. Friends, if you feel a, a tinge of pain this morning, if you have felt a growing kind of frog in your throat, if you feel kind of that clenching in your gut, I am here to share with you today the good news that is Jesus Christ who gives us a living hope. You feel these things? Our response then is to take up Jesus' first message to repent and believe this good news. Our good news is not abstract. Our good news has a name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
His name is Jesus. His is the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This Jesus, this good news is the one who sat at the table with his disciples. One would go on to betray him. He would misuse his name when he kissed him on the cheek and said, Rabbi. Another would deny him, suiting his own purposes when he says, I do not know this man, Jesus. Later, another would doubt him, misattributing him when he struggled to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And all would abandon him, having said hollowed words, followed up with hollow actions. And yet, Scripture shows us that Jesus Christ loved them still to the very end. Each one of us has turned our back on God, and God never once has turned his back on any of us. That is good news. That is the good news we celebrate today. So we remember. This is a feast of remembrance. When we remember that the Lord established his last supper, and in the midst of the hardship and the brokenness of the world, mere hours before he went to the cross for us, he established this meal so that we might remember him. This is Jesus. We remember his name remember who he is. We remember what he has done, and we remember who we are in him. We remember that night, Jesus reclining at table with his disciples. He took the bread after giving thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. We remember that his body was broken. We remember that God gave his all. We remember that he was flesh that walked this earth and showed us the way to life and that he bears a name and he's given us a new name. Later on in the meal, in a similar fashion after they finished their food, He took the cup, having given thanks, he poured it out, and he offered it to them. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Often as you drink of it, remember me. The blood, representing his blood, reveals to us that God poured everything out. When they pierced his side, naught but water came out, for he had given it all for us. He was poured out, so that we might be filled up. He gave his life so that we might take up eternal life once and for all. He rose again victorious from the dead, feeling that all who profess and believe in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved and will spend all of eternity in the loving presence of God Almighty forever and ever and ever and ever. Whatever fear, whatever guilt, whatever 
sin, whatever shame you are experiencing today, the good news is Jesus washes it all away by the blood of the Lamb who makes you white as snow. This is the good news of God for his people today. And this feast we partake of together. So in just a few moments, I will, after I pray, I will invite the elders forward. And I'd love to invite you into how we will be partaking of communion today. Once we are set and invited, you are all welcome to come in through the middle aisle. We'll have two stations here. We will drop the bread in your hands. If you require gluten-free, we have that available here for you. Simply indicate to the distributor and we will make sure you have that. And then you may grab a cup. You can partake right there if you desire or you're invited to go back to your seat and spend a moment communing with your God who loves you so much. Once you're ready, partake of the elements right then and there. We will have music. You're welcome, invited to sing along or to pray as you feel led. If you are prefer not to come forward, we do have two individuals who will come to you with the elements. Simply remain seated and indicate to them you'd like to receive the elements when they come around. If you long to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, you have heard here today, the good news of Jesus Christ has revealed in his life in the scriptures, you are invited to this table. Why don't we pray? Lord God, it is your name that is above all names. And at the mention of your name, demons flee. The mention of your name, we pray. At the mention of your name, the earth shakes. Almighty and good God, we thank you for this meal that reminds us of who we are but even more so who you are and who we are in you. We come not worthy, but we come because you are worthy. Lord, if you can conquer the grave, you can do anything. So we ask that as we partake of this meal today, we remember who you are. We remember what you've done. And we feel compelled by your Spirit to step closer to you, to live more like you today. We thank you for not leaving us alone. We thank you for not leaving us without hope, but leaving us with a living hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. We thank you. We love you. So we long to remember you and bear your name well. It is in the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, elders, I invite you to come forward.